Heidi, Heidi, ho there, and welcome to the Disnerd Podcast. I'm your host, Hans Kruger, and together we'll be discussing all things Disney. No, I'm not a prince, nor do I reside in the Southern Isles. I'm just a Disnerd from Chicago, Illinois. I'm here to share my passion for the mouse and create a community for all us Dis nerds. Bonjour, welcome everybody. <laughs> yes, we're gonna we have a great show for you today. Uh, first, we're gonna talk to you about um, we're gonna dive into some of our favorite Disney characters and and some of the mental disorders that they might have or might be suffering from. Um, and then we'll also talk about. Uh, a few stories I ran across about um, John Lasseter and, and, and sort of kind of talk about the fate of Disney animation uh, after his, his departure. And of course, uh, Disney declaration to get you through your week. But first, a word from our sponsors. Looking to support the podcast? Want to get one-of-a-kind Disney designs on hoodies, stickers, and tees? Then head over to tpublic.com. We have a large selection of designs to choose from. So check out tpublic.com and search the Disney Podcast to help support us. And look good doing it. Mental health has become a hot-button topic as of late. And I ran across a few articles that point out some of the Disney characters that really need to see a psychiatrist. But I thought it'd be fun to examine them for ourselves. So, do you need a couch to lie on? I wanted to... Uh, I, I kind of broke it down, and the articles I had you know, the most on specific characters, I turned into more of a top ten. But I have a bunch of... Um, more so honorable mentions. Um, George Darling from Peter Pan has anger management issues. King Triton from The Little Mermaid is xenophobic and prone to violent outbursts. Gaston from Beauty and the Beast is a misogynist as well as, I think, a narcissist. The Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland is bipolar. Flounder from The Little Mermaid suffers from paranoia and anxiety. And Peter Pan suffers from the Peter Pan syndrome. And I think he's the perfect uh, segue to our top ten. Peter Pan, um, you know, he's the only character in this whole thing that has gone on, that has a condition that has gone on to be named after the character. Um, So, you know, he's the boy who never wants to grow up. And, you know, um, he wants to enjoy continuing, um, you know, enjoying the carefree pleasures of childhood, so on and so forth. And that has in turn become a a, a diagnosis unto itself. I think um, I think the most famous person who's ever been associated with it is Michael Jackson. Right. I think he's definitely. And I think he takes it to the extreme, if, if, if I do say so myself. Like, he thought he was Peter Pan. It wasn't just like he wanted to be a boy. 
you know, a child again. It was he thought he was Peter Pan. Um, so that brings us to our top ten. And number ten is Scar. Scar is an evil lion and the main antagonist of the Lion King movie. He is the brother of Mufasa and the uncle of Simba. And he suffers from more than one fairly serious mental condition. First and foremost, he's a complete sociopath. He killed his own brother and attempted to kill his nephew. And at the same time, he also possesses that unsettling, creepy charm associated with so many real-life killers. But he also has a dangerously narcissistic personality disorder. In the sense that he expects people to treat him as their superior. Will stop at nothing in his aggressive quest to gain power. And doesn't care about the devastation his action, actions cause in the process. Um, I found an, another article that says, you know, they go a little bit, a little step further. Antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, Scar's aggression towards his brother Mufasa goes far deeper than simple sibling rivalry. It stems from the deep-rooted system symptoms of his antisocial personality disorder traits, which can explain many of his despicable actions. Scar has utter disregard and violation of the rights of others. He doesn't think twice about luring Simba into a trap that will kill him or throwing his brother off a cliff to his death. Added to that, we have Scar's deep-seated narcissism. He is fiercely devoted to his own thirst for power. He might be aware of the destructive force of his power struggles on those around him, but it doesn't matter to him. As for his tyrannical leadership of the hyena population, Scar is arrogant and demanding, and he expects everyone to follow his every whim, something that becomes apparent when he replaces his dead brother as king of the pride. In The Lion King, Scar simply didn't care about the widespread damage caused to the Pride Lands. If anything, he was proud of the death and devastation, although a distorted view of action and consequence meant he didn't have the foresight to see that this would lead to a lack of food supply. A king, Scar most definitely does not make. So, first article kind of just says he's a sociopath, um, which is definitely a blanket statement for this but i like the second article where they they break down that into antisocial personality disorder so they get a little bit more um uh in depth or more specific but i still think overall scar is a sociopath i think being a narcissist you know and having you know possibly having an anti social personality disorder are some traits that go into um, being a sociopath. But at the same time, I don't think um, I think with sociopaths we tend to think of like charismatic you know that kind of thing and I don't think Scar was that charismatic. If he was, he probably would have been king of the Pride Lands without having to kill Mufasa or uh, Simba. So our number nine uh, character, our character at number nine, is Captain Hook. 
The villain of the classic tale of Peter Pan, Captain Hook, famously has a hook for a hand after his real hand was chopped off by Peter Pan and fed to a crocodile. As a result, Hook suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, a condition that is made worse by the fact that the crocodile that ate his hand constantly follows him around after having gotten a taste for the, for the pirate's blood. What heightens the condition further is the fact that the crocodile has an alarm clock in its belly, so its presence is always accompanied by a ticking sound. Is it any wonder that Hook acts how he does? His anger, his obsessive thirst for vengeance on Pan, and his constant state of jumpiness is caused by a horrific event that persistently haunts him. Uh... I think that's dead on, um, to say the least. But um, this second article kind of goes into a little bit more detail. Um, Post-traumatic stress disorder. Poor Captain Hook. Most of his issues can stem back to the horrific incident that occurred where Peter Pan chopped off his hand and fed it to a crocodile. In fact, given those tragic events, is it any wonder that he continues to lash out at Peter and his own crew in a desperate effort to maintain some measure of control? What's even worse is that the crocodile continues to hunt poor Hook. Uh, with an alarm clock in its belly, its presence is always accompanied by a tick-tocking, sending the captain into blind panic. It's a perpetual state of terror, fueling his PTSD as he relieves that ter- relives that terrible event. It, is, it isn't just the crocodile that causes him to break. Any ticking clock will inflict a trauma. It's this disorder that prevents him from breaking the vicious cycle he has found himself in. Hunting Peter Pan, desperate to exact revenge, he should be doing what any good pirate captain would do and set sail across the sea in search of plunder. His trauma reaches a breaking point at the end of Peter Pan where he loses his boat and is chased by the vicious crocodile across the sea. Listen to those screams. This is a man hunted to breaking point. Dead on, okay? Um, If you don't know anybody with PTSD, um, anything really can trigger trigger it. Uh, I work at a school, and we have um, ROTC teachers who have been in the line of duty, and we've had um, fire alarms go off and, like, have been malfunctioned. And have gone off like every 10 seconds, every 30 seconds. And it's not just a noise now. They have like flashing lights and stuff. So, and we had a day where people were like seriously having, you know, PTSD attacks induced by a fire alarm. So, I think with Hook, it's definitely possible that, um, this is his disorder. This is what's driving him. And he's, he is. He's in this, this weird, vicious circle of um, kind of going, going around in circles and not really dealing with the problem because he can't. You know, he, he can't deal with the problem. Uh, number eight is Elsa. Um, her disorder is agoraphobia. Elsa's powers can cause a very real threat to the people around her. So much so that you could argue that her paranoia early in the film is fully justified. 
That being said, the two powerful events in her childhood, almost killing her sister Anna and the death of her parents at sea, are the triggers for a very clear disorder, her agoraphobia. The young princess shuts herself away, refusing even to see her sister in the years leading to her coronation. That event itself is an obvious sign of distress for Elsa. She spends the ceremony and the celebration afterwards in a state of half panic. Shutting herself away seems the only solution available to protect Anna from her subjects and as a result, her powers almost destroy her. When Elsa plunges the kingdom of Arendelle into deepest winter, she flees. But as soon as she is isolated from everyone, she returns to her old habits, creating the ice palace and shutting herself inside. It's, it is only when Anna shows her that, her that their sibling love is greater than anything, any threat does she finally break the cycle, realizing that in gaining acceptance from her people, she doesn't need to hide away any longer. Um, yeah, I think that's... Uh, um, pretty dead-on accurate. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it agoraphobia because I think the technical term for agoraphobia is the fear of like lots of people in a, in a, in a space. And it's not necessarily that she's um... agoraphobic. I think she's paranoid. And I saw in another article they mentioned paranoia, but they keep coming to agoraphobia. I don't I just I mean when you you know, the the definition for agoraphobia is extreme or irrational fear of crowded spaces or in closed public places. Like I get that she's afraid of being around people, but I don't think that it to me, agoraphobia is like you have an irrational fear. Hers is a rational fear. Like she has magical powers that could that she doesn't know how to control. And she almost killed her sister. <laughs> you know, so it totally makes sense to me that she would have this apprehension. So to me, this one just doesn't doesn't ring true. I think it we want to play something on her, but I, I really don't think so. I think with agoraphobia, it's like she's afraid of people for a reason. She's afraid to be around people because she can't control these powers. It's not she has a mental disorder or mental illness. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call shenanigans on on the Elsa one, but she still comes in at number eight. Um, these are really not in any order, but um, I just thought it would be easier to keep track by giving them numbers. Uh, number seven is Eeyore. And there's a legitimate argument that every character in the Hundred Acre Wood, even Winnie the Pooh himself, suffers from some kind of mental disorder. Tigger has attention deficit disorder. Piglet has terrible anxiety. Um... For you know, for example, but we don't want to fill 
this. I don't want to. I don't want to fill this whole list up with just characters from Winnie the Pooh. So I'm going to focus on your. Um, he lives in a state of constant pessimism, and I think it's because you know he can he can't even enjoy life's simplest pleasures due to crippling depression. Um, and I think that's kind of like the blanket thing. You look at him and it's like, yeah, he's depressed. Like, that, that's the whole, th- you know, that's the shtick, right? But uh, another article said schizophrenia, impulsive and um, obsessive fixations. Uh, general anxiety disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, depressive disorder, attention deficit disorder. Um, you know, how anyone functions in the Hundred Acre Woods is frankly a miracle, particularly since the Canadian Medical Association opened our eyes with an article in 2000 that confirmed just how sick our beloved characters are. Perhaps there is an unhealthy mix of codependency and denial. Perhaps these characters don't even exist. The obvious answer is that Christopher Robin is a schizophrenic. And they all exist as delusions in his mind. But if we put that disturbing thought to bed for a second, let's look at each character in tune. In turn, sorry. Um, Winnie the Pooh, impulsive and obsessive fixations. Piglet, general anxiety disorder. Rabbit, obsessive compulsive disorder. And then Eeyore, depressive disorder. Uh, I mean, it, it's the most blindly obvious issue out of all of the the characters in Hundred Acre Wood, and um, you know, lives his life in a, in constant pessimism and unable to appreciate even the smallest things in life. And so, I think this is the most blatant one. You know, kind of going back to Elsa and saying, you know. I don't see it because there's um, there's a rational fear there with Eeyore. It's like it's it just hits you in the face. Like as a little kid, you know, like there's something not right with this, this donkey. You know, I don't want to be a donkey. I think th- I never wanted to be a donkey. I never wanted to go see a donkey my entire childhood because I just thought they were all depressed. They hated being donkeys. They wished they they wished they could be something else. Uh, number six is Jafar, um, and his and he's a sociopath. Um, the mo- I mean the majority of Disney villains are sociopaths. Um, he's antisocial, lacking any sense of moral responsibility or social social consequence. Conscience and whose behavior often dovetails into criminal activities. They will nonetheless be charming and manipulative in order to achieve their goals. Uh, Jafar is absolutely the top of the food chain when it comes to all these traits. In his guise as the royal vizier of Agrabah, Jafar is perfectly suited to carry out his normal schemes. He pretends to bow and whimper to the sultan. And he has no qualms about sending innocents to their death in pursuit of the lamp within the Cave of Wonders. Jafar manipulates Aladdin in the guise of the old man. Once he learns that the titular hero of is the one who can retrieve the lamp, all the while lying to Jasmine but telling her he had already executed him, 
When his true colors are revealed, Jafar becomes the monster we all suspected, imprisoning the sultan and his daughter, taking the lamp and making each wish more greater than the last in pursuit of power. He views himself superior to the genie, a gloated assumption that becomes his downfall when he becomes trapped within the lamp. This sociopath will stop at nothing to get what he wants. His plotting and scheming are more dangerous and openly aggressive op- more, are more dangerous than any openly aggressive villain. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um great commentary. No, um I totally agree with with everything that says definitely an a sociopath antisocial to a degree um you know like it says most of the disney villains are sociopaths i think most of the disney villains would would run fortune 500 companies fairly well if if i do say so myself um uh You know, he's very manipulative, right? Um, the problem is is that most of these movies use some sort of, like, magic or out-of-this-world force or power that we really can't explain. And if other humans had... If regular humans, me and you, you and I, had access to these these types of things would we act in a similar fashion so it's really hard for me to 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 say um, whether or not there's anything other than he's a sociopath right Um, but at the same time I feel like you know, or is it justified? Because, hey, if we had the ability to control somebody's mind, we would do it. Or if, you know, a lot of us are on that strive for greatness. And are you a sociopath simply because you want to strive for greatness? Or is it is it the way in which you do it? And, I mean, he definitely did went a very shady route, that's for sure. Uh, number five is Pocahontas. I don't think anybody thought we would be bringing her up. But we are. Um, her disorder is schizophrenia. Anyone who regularly chats to a tree for advice is clearly facing some serious mental health issues. See, I never thought about that. But then again, you know, I guess if you were, were looking at it through the lens of, uh, you know, us and not these are fantasy worlds, um, then yeah, I guess so. Um, but for Pocahontas, conversation with Grandmother Willow is far from the end of her delusions. This Native American princess also happens to shamanic powers, um, can communicate with animals and spirits, speak in, an un- in unknown languages, and has prophetic dreams. Again, if we watch the movie, um, it's supposed to be like this magic, you know, 
mother nature, earth magic kind of thing. Uh, that's how I kind of interpret it as. I know as a kid, I didn't get it. I didn't get that scene. It's it's very um, uh, abstract. You know, that you don't... If you're a kid, you don't get it. As an adult, I get it. And actually, I didn't get it as an adult until I saw, like, a behind the scenes. So what I'm talking about is the scene when... Um, John Smith and Pocahontas are talking to each other and they don't really understand each other and then all of a sudden the the wind comes and they kind of get in enrobed with you know the wind and leaves and stuff and then they magically can talk to each other like John Smith understands her she understands John Smith and like Miko and Flick kind of like look at each other and like in in amazement I never got that. I never got that that was supposed to be this, like, magical thing that happens. So that, um, because they talked about that in, like, the behind the scenes that they were, they had to figure out a way that they, they didn't have to do this weird back and forth that, like, everybody could understand each other for the sake of telling the story. You know, they obviously knew that it, it wasn't, you know, accurate. But they needed some way to tell the story far easier than, than what they were doing. Um, the sad truth is poor Pocahontas is a schizophrenic. Wandering off from her tribe, she spends her days playing out her delusions in the wilderness of rural Virginia. I could never say that word. R- 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 rural. Yeah. I'm a city boy, so I can't say it. I sound I sound real uh, real southern when I say rural, and <laughs> and the shock announcement that she is to be married is to one of her father's warriors only increased the intensity of them. Is it any surprise that grandmother Willow, in quotes, convinces her to follow her own path? End quote. Um, the arrival of John Smith and the settlers. Um, only confounds the issue further. Facing strangers from another land, people who are utterly, utterly different to Pocahontas and her tribe, only make her, makes her situation worse. The line between reality and delusion is clearly blurred. As for John Smith, he is suffering from delusions, or is it something much more insidious? Listening to her colors of the wind song and having an awkward introduction to Grandmother Willow, perhaps he simply plays along just to satisfy his lust for this Native American princess. Also, he can claim her as his wife and take her back to England as his exotic bride. Pocahontas isn't such a sweet love story now, is it? Well, the original story is far darker and weirder anyway, because I think Pocahontas was like 13, 12 or 13, when John Smith met her. And but we won't get in. I digress. We'll get into that later. Maybe maybe a nice Thanksgiving episode <laughs> where we talk about the true story of Pocahontas. But if we take the magic out of these Disney movies, okay, Pocahontas. Yeah, she's cuckoo. She's definitely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like I get it. But there's this magic element to these movies, right, that kind of blurs that line. 
Now, like I said, if we're if we're looking at this from the lens of this is what you know, this person lives today amongst us and this person is talking to a tree and thinks the tree is talking back and talks to squirrels and and raccoons and hummingbirds, you know, okay, yeah, I'm sh- th- that definitely um you know, schizophrenia is probably going to be at the top of the list of disorders. For Pocahontas. But, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. So, <laughs> I, keep, I keep coming back to like, but it's magical, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um... Number four is Cruella de Vil. Cruelty to, an- cruelty to animals is included as an early indicator of in diagnosing psychopaths. She's a real serial killer in the making. And if you are a true crime fan um, and you, uh, or you know, you know, you listen to podcasts or read books, watch documentaries, that kind of stuff, that is a, usually an early um, sign of a serial killer is that they they tend to mistreat animals in a very deviant way. Um, her her disorder is uh, psychopathy. To be the top of the food chain, to reach the pinnacle of your career, to ex- to have success over over others, you have to be the best and the best and some t- best of the best. And sometimes a psychopathic personality is a great advantage as you quickly climb the ladder. After all, how do you beat your competition if you have have any empathy for them? How do you stand out for promotion if you are not bold and uninhibited in equal measure? Think about that when you talk to your boss on Monday. Cruella is absolutely a psychopath. She lusts for power, wealth, and luxury, and does not let the feelings of others, not even high school friend Anita, get in her way. She has no empathy, no consideration. She wants and she takes. The fact that she's willing to skin 99 puppies just to have a new Dalmatian coat. Well, you know what they say about the trend between killing animals and people. Animals are just the first steps towards something much darker. Cruella is also cruel. She mocks Roger's music career in front of him and Anita, and prone to outbursts of violence. She's downright demented when she chases when she chases the truck containing the puppies, ramming them off the road. It's these traits that transferred so wonderfully to the live-action version of 101 Dalmatians. Glenn Close's Cruella is the head of a fashion house and has used her psychopathic traits in her rise to power. I totally get this. You know, late uh, 101 Dalmatians. No, there's no magic in that <laughs> whatsoever. This she is definitely a psychopath. Um, one of the reasons why I, I tend to not watch this movie is because of her. Even at a young age, I just didn't ever want to watch that movie. 
She scared me so much. Cruella DeVille, Cruella DeVille. If she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will. Right? Well, she scared me. Okay? She definitely scared me. Um, number three is the evil queen from Snow White. This lady is a textbook narcissist. She's vain, selfish, and has an inflated sense of self-importance. Someone needs to teach this lady how to age gracefully. Um, narcissistic personality disorder, delusions, and paranoia are the evil queen's disorders. She might be one of the most mentally disturbed characters in all of Disney lore. Like Scar in the Lion King, her narcissistic personality means she is utterly devoted to her thirst for power, putting herself above all others, even to the extent that we never see her govern her own kingdom. The queen is obsessed with beauty, and her passion to be the fairest of all is what leads her to plan the murder of her stepdaughter without any remorse. However, Scar has nothing on the unraveling mental state of this woman. She suffers intense delusions, staring into a mirror day after day, believing it speaks to her, reaffirming her belief that she is the most beautiful person in, the, in her kingdom. Intense paranoia also has its grip on the king and the queen. She forces Snow White to become a, a bedraggled servant just to maintain her status and cannot shut out her doubts when her stepdaughter encounters the prince. On the grip of madness, she orders the huntsman to cut out Snow White's heart, and when it, that is revealed to have failed, she takes matters into her own hands, transforming into the witch just to get close enough to Snow to poison her. It is this madness that sends her over the edge, literally, as she dies screaming and haggard over the cliff. It makes Meg Ryan's pouty lips or Jackie Stallone's Medi face seem absolutely normal compared to the obsession with beauty this queen has. I think this one's dead on. Except, you know, take the magic out of it, right? For saying that we live in this world, magicless world again, then yeah, it's dead on. The, the magic mirror, if we live in a magic world, the magic mirror isn't necessarily that, um, is not crazy, and she doesn't suffer from intense delusions, uh, or in that sense, right? Um, she is still delusional, but not in that sense. But I think this one is dead on. The next, number two is Maleficent. Her, her disorder is borderline personality disorder, the greatest Disney villain of all time. Maleficent is the embodiment of pure evil, seeking to destroy anything and anyone who stands before her. She inflicts a curse of King Stefan's kingdom by tricking his daughter into touching a spindle and sending everyone to sleep. She torments a captured Prince Philip with visions of a horrific future. Oh, and she turns into a badass fire-breathing dragon, too. Um, but she is vindictive, foul-tempered, violent, a violent sadist because she is evil, or is it something more? Perhaps the real truth is that she acts the way she does because she is mentally unstable. The sad reality is that Maleficent has borderline personality disorder. Let's take a look at some of the symptoms of this illness. Intense fears of abandonment. 
Perhaps the event of Sleeping Beauty would have been averted had Maleficent simply been invited to Aurora's christening. Intense anger at perceived criticism or hurtfulness. Again, most people would voice their opinions or simply stay away. Maleficent inflicts a curse on the princess on Princess Aurora and the entire kingdom. Obsessive personality and violent mood swings. Maleficent doesn't give up simply because Aurora is hidden away from for 16 years. Um, she is relentless in her pursuit of the princess, striking out violently at anyone that angers her, particularly her goons, and she's a real dragon when she gets really angry. Perhaps if Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether actually dealt with the issues at hand rather than devoting their time to opposing poor, unstable Maleficent, things may have turned out a little differently. Right on. Um, yeah, definitely borderline personality disorder. I like this one because it doesn't heavily rely on removing the magic, right? It's even even with the magic there, this is this is pretty dead on. So I like this one better than say some of the other ones where, you know, if you took the magical element or you if you didn't remove the magical element, it's it's not as um, a solid of a diagnosis, but this is definitely for sure. And the final one, our number one, our most disturbed. No, we didn't do it that way. <laughs> um, these, again, these are just random. I just felt like if I at least did a top ten, it would be, you know, uh, a little bit easier to to manage. Is Ariel number one? Is Ariel? Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Um, her disorders are kleptomania and body dysmorphic disorder. <sighs> Snow White might shack up with seven complete strangers and sing to woodland creatures, a, stir- a disturbing trait she, sh- she ser- shares with Princess Aurora, but neither have nothing anything on Ariel. A seaborn kleptomaniac who has some serious issues with her body image and a complete lack of personal identity. Rather than live the life of a princess in the royal court of King Trident, Ariel spends her time stealing treasures from the shipwrecks of poor men and women lost at sea. We're sure they didn't imagine their prized treasures would be hoarded up in a sea cave by a mentally unstable half-girl, half-fish. But thieving from the dead is the least of Ariel's issues. Her body dysmorphic disorder means... She believes her body is defective and needs to be fixed in order to be in order for her to be whole again. It's for this reason she becomes fixated on humans and Eric in particular. She goes as far as to indulge black magic to fix herself, ridding herself of her tail in favor of legs. She's a human trapped in a mermaid's body and goes to extreme measures to correct herself. Let's hope someone picks up on her identity issues and kleptomania now that she is married to Eric. Otherwise, she'll find herself not belonging anywhere. Okay, so there you have it. Childhood films destroyed 
with the harsh reality of our beloved character's fragile mental states. Uh, but for these heroines and villains, it's clear to see that there's an explanation to some of their more extreme personality traits. Um, yeah, so that was interesting, right? <laughs> um, I think... Some of these make a lot of sense. Um, and I like... I really enjoy the ones where they're not taking elements of the story that are magical and putting a cynical spin on it and saying, well, in our world, magic doesn't exist, so she's obviously delusional. Well, they don't live in our world. They live in a different world. Um, so that was like maybe like the only hookup I had about it and you obviously heard me go on about it almost after <laughs> every single uh, character that we talked about um, but yeah it it does it really makes you think about you know these characters really aren't that much different than us and you know a lot of us do suffer from different mental disorders and to, to kind of know, you know, hey, I'm battling d with depression, you know, but so is Eeyore, and he's he's still kicking, you know, he's still alive and kicking, or the Beast, and it worked out for him in the end, you know. So, you know, I definitely think that it's really f cool. It's fun. It can be fun, like a little tongue-in-cheek to kind of be like, oh... You know, Ariel's a kleptomaniac, or Pocahontas is, you know, schizophrenic, or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, it can kind of, it can also kind of help people if they can look at, say, you're suffering from schizophrenia or something, and you watch Pocahontas, and it just makes you feel like, well, she could do it, I could do it. You know, she was able to get through it, I can get through it. And I think that's a great, um, I think that's a great takeaway from, from, from this, is, you know, if you're suffering, use these, use these characters as, as inspiration and as support. Um, of course, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Go to our Facebook page, uh, hit, hit us up, let us know. Was there one that we missed? Was there a character you want to talk about? And maybe we can, you know, diagnose the, that character ourselves. Um, but uh, head over to the Facebook page and let me know what you think. Okay, so uh, interesting thing, I was, I came across this article from cartoonbrew.com by Amid Amidi. Um, there was an internal battle at Disney over this children's book starring disgraced animation chief John Lasseter. 
and I was going to talk about it, and then um, something interesting happened. As I was gathering information, I came across another article that said, uh, or breaking news that John Lasseter um, uh, will step down from from Disney, from his role in Disney and Pixar, which I thought was really interesting and how they kind of coincided with each other. So, um... So, to go over the children's book story first, uh, the Walt Disney Company has found a unique way to deal with the sticky situation over the fate of John Lasseter. Uh, release of a children's book narrated by and starring the sabbatical-loving chief creative officer of Walt Disney and Pixar Animation Studios. The illustrated kids' book, Disney Parks Presents Jungle Cruise, stars Lasseter as the skipper of the Jungle Jungle Cruise attraction at Disneyland, a job that he actually held in the 70s. It's due in bookstores July 3rd. The story behind the making of the book may be more interesting than the book itself. Here's what we know. Apparently, the book was already illustrated and mostly completed last November when Lasseter was accused of groping, kissing, and otherwise harassing women over a decade. Journalist Richard Rushfield, who published the entertainment industry newsletter, The Ankler, reported that the rest of the story in today's edition of the newsletter. According to Ankler, <clears throat> a friend on the inside, when the, la- when the Lasseter news broke last November, most of the album and the art around it had already been completed, but as more and more came out, some people involved in the project began to feel uneasy about the notion that the executive with such unsavory stories now circulating about him should be fronted, fronting a children's storybook and re- record. Um, people involved in the project created new art that removed his face from the package. When higher-ups learned about that, o- that the overhaul, fireworks broke out between the, s- the senior Lasseter loyalists at the top and those working on the album project. Despite the internal tug-of-war, at Disney, it appears from both the Amazon listing and the official Disney publishing website that the original art featuring Lasseter's likeness and name tag with the name John has been restored. If the book does make it to bookstores, it's destined to be a collector's item for all the wrong reasons. So pre-order your copy today. It's currently ranked as the number one release in Amazon's Nursery Rhymes section. Okay. So, I read that. That was around June 5th. And then, uh, a few days later, uh, the news broke out that John Lasseter was indeed leaving Disney. So, John Lasseter, the co-founder of Pixar Animation Studios and the Walt Disney Company's animation chief, will step down at the end of the year after acknowledging missteps in his behavior with staff members. Disney announced on Friday that Lasseter, one of the most illustrious and powerful figures in animation, will stay on through the end of 2018 as a consultant. After that, he will depart from Disney permanently. Lasseter in November took what he called a six-month sabbatical. He apologized to anyone who he has ever been, who has ever been on the receiving end of an unwanted hug or any other gesture that made them feel disrespected or uncomfortable. At the time, Lasseter signaled that all hoped to re- signaled that he hoped to then return to Disney. 
The last six months have provided an opportunity to reflect on my life, career, and personal priorities, Lasseter said in a statement. While I remain dedicated to the art of animation and inspired by the creative talent at Pixar and Disney, I have decided the end of the year is the right time for, to begin focusing on new creative challenges. The 61-year-old Lasseter, easily recognizable for his bright Hawaiian shirts, is the highest-ranking Hollywood executive to be toppled in the wake of the Me Too movement. A pioneer in digital animation, he has been a creative force behind every Pixar release, as well as Disney hits like Frozen, Moana, and Zootopia. Lasseter directed Pixar's breakthrough feature, Toy Story, as well as its first sequel, Toy Story 2. After Disney acquired Pixar in 2006, Lasseter was named Chief Creative Officer of Pixar, as well as Disney Animation. Under Lasseter, the previously flagging animation studio was reborn through both Pixar and Disney releases that have amassed billions in box office and a string of Oscars. Bob Iger, chief executive of Disney, praised Lasseter for his vision in assembling storytellers and innovators to set the standard in animation for generations to come. John had a remarkable tenure at Pixar and Disney Animation, reinventing the animation business, taking breathtaking risks, and telling original, high-quality stories that will last forever. We are profoundly grateful for his contribution, which included a masterful and remarkable turnaround of the Walt Disney Animation Studios. Pixar's latest, Incredibles 2, opens in the the U.S. this week. Lasseter is an executive producer of the anticipated sequel, which is expected to be among the biggest box office debuts for an animated release. Disney has not announced his successor. So, these two stories kind of go hand in hand. I, I thought it was really interesting to kind of read about what Disney was going to do and I kind of thought, well, has it been six months since, you know, Lasseter said he was going to take a sabbatical? And, you know, what, what was he going to do? Um, and this whole book kind of presented itself um, as a kind of interesting... Why, to me, it was interesting because why was there a battle? Um, you know, honestly, unless you say John Lasseter, I mean, yeah, you, you, it pokes nods. I mean, I, I've seen the, the, uh, the art and yeah, I mean, it does look like him, you know, the, the, um, the main character does look like him, but honestly, that could have been anybody. Um, and I, I don't, I feel like somebody higher up above whoever was making these calls on this book probably should have um, thought about you know maybe not having him be the you know the only uh, inspiration for um, the cruise guide um, definitely could have had multiple people, um, but I, but I also get it. It's it's also a CD. It's you know it's also an audio book, and he's the one who's narrating it, and so that also comes into um, 
into play, you know, because he's, if it was just a book, I could understand. But honestly, you could probably have said, hey, look, this isn't good for, this isn't good for business. So let's, let's rethink this and let's have somebody re, you know, redo it, you know, um, especially if you kind of knew that he wasn't going to be coming back six months or, you know, just wait for this book to not, you know, wait till for the six months to happen, see what his decision was or what the company's decision was going to be and then move forward with that. I think this is kind of, it's just odd to me, you know, that, uh, you know, it's kind of odd to me that we're doing, that we're talking about this book where it could have just, you know, been shelved and then when the time was right they could have brought it back they could have brought it back with him or they could have had somebody uh re-narrate it and they are i mean even in the story they said they already had new um new art so they could have definitely done it as with his decision to leave um i mean only he would know, right? What happened, and only only he can make the the proper call on what he wants to do. Uh, but at the same time, it definitely brings into consideration who is going to um, replace him, and and what is the state of um, uh, Disney animation once he leaves um, you know uh, it's pretty crazy to me um, to think you know in a short period of time you've lost um, you know somebody like John Lasseter and um, I can't remember who retired if it was John Musker or the, the other guy I think it's John Musker he you know he retired um, you know and he he had hand a hand in so many you know I can't remember if it's him or Ron Clements it's one of those two, or it could be both. I can't remember, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, they had hands in so many um, yeah, it is John Musker. Okay, um, you know, they, they he's had his hand in so many hits, you know, Aladdin, um, just recently Moana, I think, you know, Little Mermaid. Princess and the Frog, Hercules. I mean, he was he was he was there throughout that whole you know uh, Renaissance, and he's leaving. He he's retiring, and then you lose a, a visionary and a and a and a powerhouse creator like John Lasseter. What is the state of the animation studios? Um, I'm sure there's a lot of great people, but. You know, who's going to fill that void? You know, John Lasseter 
whether or not you want to knock the Pixar movies. I love the whole the meme of like, you know, what if toys had feelings? What if bugs had feelings? What if cars had feelings? Um, you know, and then finally, what if feelings had feelings? You know, like that's been Pixar's mo, right? What if what if dead people had feelings? Right? Um, that's sort of been the whole mo of Pixar, right? Um, you could kind of sum it up like that, which is, but with the exception of maybe, you know, cars, which is, you know, it's great for little kids. It's not the greatest story for adults. Um, but, you know, you have a lot of really successful movies, really entertaining movies, movies that tell great stories. And he was behind that, you know. He was, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of the science of the times, I guess, you know, that there's no perfect hero anymore. And anybody you look up to is going to have some kind of flaws. But, you know, this really brings um, into consideration, like, what's going to happen next and you know luckily for Disney you know um, they are slewing out like a whole bunch of sequels and um, um, you know in the next in the next um, couple years, they're all like, um, you know, sequels and other things. So uh, there really isn't too many original stories. So I think, you know, starting with Incredibles 2, you know, you have Ralph Breaks the Internet. Um, And then there's like a slew of what, like, um, there's like a slew of live action movies, but they're, you know, Frozen 2 is coming out, yeah, that's right, Frozen 2 is coming out, you know, a whole bunch of different animated sequels, there really isn't, I think, until like, well, because they haven't really gone past 2020, but 2020, 2021, you know, they really haven't gone past that. But there are no new original movies, and that's kind of sad, you know? Yeah, the 2000s kind of were a weird time, right? You had all these weird movies um, that were not in the Renaissance vein, right? And Disney kind of faltered a bit, but they at least weren't putting, you know, Lion King to... Simba's pride out in theaters. It was straight to video like it belonged. <laughs> you know, like Mulan 2 went straight to video like it belonged. And I'm afraid that, you know, there's going to be a Moana 2. And there's going to be, a, you know, you know, we're seeing Frozen 2, you know, and we had Frozen 2.5 with uh, Olaf's Christmas Spectacular or whatever it was called. <laughs> so, um, it's kind of scary to think, 
you know, if you if you if there is a time to have reservations about the fate of the Disney animation studio, I think now is the perfect time to have those reservations because it's really up in the air. You lost your main, um, you know, you lost your main visionary. Um, and so it's going to be really tough, I think. Um, you know, does this, it's kind of funny because you have so many live action movies coming out and but there's so what seems to me like there's so few animated movies coming out or at least they don't they're not um, you know saying that Because you, you, you're getting all these, um, you're getting all these like uh, live action remakes of animated classics, and I'd, I, I wonder if that's what's going to, um, you know, suffice for now, right? Toy Story 4 is coming out, you know, there's, there isn't a lot of animated movies coming out, which is kind of, kind of crazy, and all of them are sequels, so, all of the ones that are coming out are sequels, so, um, you know, It's gonna be it's gonna be crazy, um, an interesting um, you know. It's just the demise of uh, Disney animation. I hope not. I really hope not. But you know. I guess only time will tell, right? So let me know what you're, what you guys think. Uh, go to our Facebook page and leave us a comment because this is really interesting. You know, the fact that he's stepping down, the fact that you have John Musker retiring, the the fate of uh, Disney Animation is you know is up in the air and. You know, I think we we could have a great discussion about it. Um, just tell me what you think. Okay, so those are some pretty interesting things that we talked about today. Uh, I thought it was pretty entertaining to to kind of dive into the 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 
the mental uh, disorders of different Disney characters. And it's really interesting to think of what the state of Disney animation is. Um, I recently listened to uh, the Dis Unplugged podcast and they were talking about um, how they don't they think Pixar will be okay, but um, they are kind of interested to see where Disney's animation kind of goes. Obviously since since I recorded the segment, People have been, um, and you know, there have been some announcements about who's going to take over things, but um, or not necessarily announcements, but people have some general ideas as to who might be taking over things, and it looks like they might be in good hands, but only time will tell um, if that is the case. And uh, before we go, we have. Uh, your Disney declaration to get you through your week. Uh, But first, a word from our sponsors. Short on cash? Looking to sell unwanted items? Come on down to Tomatoa's Pawn Shop. We buy gold. Come down and find some of the best items around. When you leave, you're sure to leave with something shiny. You must not let anyone define your limits because of where you come from. Your only limit is your soul. Okay, so that's going to do it for us today on the podcast. I want to, of course, thank everybody who helped put a put this podcast together. Y'all are wonderful. And uh, until next time, stay Diz nerds, my friends. <laughs>